from Philippians chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we had some fun with the book of Jonah, and now we enter into the season of Lent. And, and here's our big question for Lent. What was the cross like for Jesus? What did he think as he went to the cross? What was he feeling as the cross approached? That's going to be our sort of viewpoint and perspective uh, for our Lenten preaching. Uh, they didn't tell me this when I became a pastor, but, but one of the things you, as a pastor, you become experts, an expert on Christmas and Easter because they come like every year, right? And so every year I have to think of and work on kind of a different on-ramp. And, and last year I came across a title of a book by a guy named A.G. Sertelanges. I don't even know how to say his last name. And I, the book is okay, but I thought the concept was really great. The book was called What Jesus Saw from the Cross. It was written in 1930, published in French, and it was written by this priest who had lived in Jerusalem. And, and so the book is about Jesus from the cross and like, what, was, what were the roads like? And what was the space like? And who walked by Jesus, right? And, and so I'm going to use the book a little bit later in the series because it's really about the cross and I want to back up and go to the cross through this series. But it got me really thinking about what was this all like for Jesus? Like, well, what, and, and, and that got me thinking then that if we're going to talk about what this was like for Jesus, then we probably need to start with the question of what was Jesus like? What was Jesus like? What did he think? What, how did he talk? What language did he speak? What did he look like? What did he dress like? Um, and so that's going to where we're going to start our journey today. I want to talk about what was Jesus like? I want to do sort of a profile of Jesus. And... Um, and I'm not, some of these things I think may, you may find surprising or maybe you never thought about what was Jesus like and what was his thought like, life like and what was his feeling life, his emotional life like. To begin a profile of Jesus, you might think we might start at his birth. That's where we would start with most people, um, but Jesus isn't most people. 
And part of the understanding of the Bible is that Jesus doesn't start at Christmas. That Jesus existed far before Christmas. Now the New Testament and the church historically have always held this. John 1 says that in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And that all things were made by Him. In other words, Jesus was a part of creation. He was a part of making the world. And then John tells us that the Word became flesh put on flesh and dwelt among us. He lived among us. Paul echoes that idea in the scripture that I just read from Philippians. This is sometimes called a hymn uh, because, uh, and some Bibles even separate it like it's a hymn because we think maybe it's, it's very poetic of what he, he writes about Jesus there, that maybe this was an, a hymn that the Christians wrote about who Jesus was. And what was Paul's idea? That he was using it as an example of humility, that you and I should follow this example of humility, but that Jesus was God. He was equal to God, but he, he, didn't, he didn't take that for granted. He didn't take that as something that, that he had to hold on to, but he, he humbled himself. And he took on the form, the likeness of humanity, and then he humbled himself further to go to the cross. And then he, he rose again, and, and, and because of that, um, he's going to be glorified because of this humbling. See, Paul's understanding is that Jesus doesn't start at Christmas. He starts way before Christmas. But that, that at Christmas, something happens. The church has called this the incarnation. Carne meaning flesh, meat, right? Carnivores are meat eaters. Okay, that what Jesus does is he puts on flesh. He puts on meat. That's what he does. Okay, he comes and becomes a person. He was God, and now he, he is also. And so the church has always wondered, how does this exactly work? And, and in Scripture, they could always only say, the church decided, well, he's still God, so he's fully God, but he also is fully human. That makes Jesus a very kind of interesting character, right? A little hard to understand. How can somebody be divine and yet human when humanity often feels so undivine? I mean, so this gets interesting. I, one of my fascinations, a little hobby of mine, is I like to watch films about Jesus because I'm interested in the portrayals of Jesus. So I, I don't know if you've done this. How many of you watched like Jesus of Nazareth? That's one of the, the very famous. Uh, Robert Powell plays Jesus, and he does have Jesus have some emotions in there. He does a pretty good job with Jesus. But I heard him talk in an interview about how he, he sort of portrayed Jesus on purpose a little bit blank so that you could read your own thoughts and emotions into him. He was very intentional about that. And so in a lot of films, Jesus is very sort of robotic. He doesn't have a lot of emotions. He almost never smiles in a lot of things. Unless you look at Godspell, right? In which Jesus is a clown, and all he does is smile. And then you, if you, But if you watch Godspell, and Godspell is great, but he's very human there. Like It's hard to imagine Jesus as divine and a clown. Right or Jesus Christ superstar, he's sort of a hippie Jesus. Uh, but if you go start going through this, it's, a, it's hard to portray Jesus in film. My favorite by far is the the one that's going on right now called The Chosen, which is the show about Jesus. And if you've watched it, Jesus is he manages the the actor um, uh, Jonathan Rumi is his name manages to balance the humanity of Jesus. Jesus smiles, laughs, jokes but also can be serious. He doesn't lose his divinity in the middle of this. 
We often, in the Presbyterian Church, I think, and in a lot of sort of mainline denominations, we miss the humanity of Jesus. Jesus, for us, is so holy and he's so perfect that, like, the idea that he got hungry is weird to us, right? Uh, that he got full, that he fell asleep because he was tired. But Jesus is fully human, which means a lot of the human stuff, he had a body. He was incarnate. He put on meat. And so all the body stuff, he did that. Okay? Uh, he ate. He's the, in, the, in the text, in Jesus in the gospel, very human. He eats. He drinks. He gets thirsty. He gets hungry. He um, gets tired and falls asleep in a boat. Okay, and then Luke 2, 52 says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature, and in favor with God and, and man. Wisdom and stature. In other words, Jesus grew, and he learned. This is really weird for us to think about, too. That little one-year-old Jesus stumbled as he was learning how to walk, right? Then he, he didn't necessarily know how, like, DNA worked, right? He, he doesn't know. He has to learn and he has to grow. That's kind of a weird way to think, right? So how much did he know? How much did he know? Well, like, as God, he knows how the cosmos works and he knows what DNA is and he knew what trains were, right? But in his first century self, how much does he know and how much does he actually humble himself? It's an interesting question, right? We know he knew a lot because at the age of 12, he teaches in the temple, Okay, so he needs to know some things, right, and know more than maybe a normal 12-year-old might, but he also, I don't know that he knows what a car is. Like, I don't know if he knows. He's somewhat limited by the day and the age and the time that he's in. We have to take seriously that he's fully God, but, but he's also fully human. There's some other things we can think about with Jesus. I don't know if you know this or not, but you might not if you've seen a lot of paintings of Jesus, but he wasn't white. Okay, just putting that out there. He's Middle Eastern, which means he has darker skin. The gospel writers don't ever describe what Jesus looks like, but, but we can make some guesses. Okay, he's not white. He is Middle Eastern. Uh, we know that he, if we don't have a lot of descriptions of him, he probably looks like a normal guy. Right? We know he has a beard because in a very like gruesome part of going to the cross, part of his beard is plucked out. So we know he has a beard. We often portray Jesus with long hair, but that's probably not accurate. Okay, in, in those days, Jesus, in Jesus' days, Jews were very modest. And so Jesus probably wouldn't have shown a lot of skin. He probably would have had long sleeves and his, his robe would have gone way down. And he probably wouldn't have had long hair because men really didn't dress like women. So it would have been a thing for him to keep his hair rather short. He's, he's also worked as a carpenter walked a lot of places and so he's probably pretty strong like he's not real skinny he's not he's pretty well built i would think jesus probably spoke three languages this seems odd to us because we're americans but we're one of the few places in the world that only speak one language most of the world speaks more than one language right here we learn spanish or french in high school and then but we're not bilingual by any means, right? Like if you ever try to use your Spanish and go to Spain, like you can find the library and you can find your pants and you can find the bathroom, but that's about all you remember of your Spanish. Okay? Um, all I remember from Spanish, los pantalones. I don't know why we talked about our pants so much. Okay? But in most of the world, people are at least bilingual. They speak multiple languages. Jesus 
We have quotes from him in the Bible, and most of the quotes are in Aramaic, which was the, the common spoken language of this part of the world. So Jesus probably spoke on a daily basis a lot of Aramaic. Okay? We also know that Jesus went to the temple and he read from the scroll, and whatever was spoken in the temple and whatever was read from the scroll is undoubtedly Hebrew. Okay, so we know he spoke Hebrew, we know he spoke Aramaic. For the business that he did, he probably was pretty good at Greek, probably pretty passable Greek, past los pantalones in our Spanish. He was pretty good at Greek. And remember, he also was raised for a little while in Egypt. And so probably his Egyptian is better than our Spanish too. We also need to remember that he wasn't an American. He was Jewish. He wasn't a Christian. He was Jewish. And in those days, Jewish was both a national identity and a religious identity. We know from Luke 2 that he went to the Jerusalem for major festivals. In Luke 4, we know that it was his custom to go to synagogue on the Sabbath. Sabbath was Saturday, not Sunday. We know that he'd said the Jewish prayers, including the Psalms of Ascent. And a lot of those Jewish prayers, by the way, were sung. They weren't spoken, they were sung. I don't know how many pictures you've ever seen of Jesus singing, but we know Jesus sang songs. In fact, he and his disciples sang a hymn in the upper room before he went to the Garden of, Geth or the Garden of Gethsemane in the Mount of Olives in Matthew 26 and Mark 14. We also know Jesus wasn't modern. So Jesus did not know what a refrigerator was. He had never had fast food, never ridden in a car. His diet was probably a lot of bread. Bread was the staple daily bread, that's what you lived on, with some fruit, particularly uh, dates um, would have been a major one there, and then when he could get it, fish or other kosher meats. We don't think about that, but Jesus ate kosher. And to get that food, Jesus had to walk a lot. The average American today, we know because of all these step uh, counters that people wear and stuff, average American today walks 1.5 to 2 miles every day. Okay, you figure you get up, you go downstairs, you go to your car, you walk around Walmart, whatever you do. Normally, 1.5 to 2 miles a day. It, what we think for the first century in Israel was that the average person walked somewhere between 13 and 15 miles a day. Like, you had to go get water. You had to go get bread. You had to go work somewhere. You had to go pick up fruit. 15 miles a day on a normal day. So when we talk about Jesus and other people walking 80 miles to Jerusalem from where he lived, um, it's really not as far as you might think. If you walk in 15 miles every day, covering 40 on a travel day, not that big of a problem as you might think. Okay, so Jesus was probably pretty lean. He probably, probably uh, didn't eat a lot. And so, um, you know, probably muscular, probably pretty thin. We know that he spent time in Egypt and went to Jerusalem some. He probably went to visit family in Bethlehem and in Nazareth, in, uh, in Jerusalem, but uh, he grew up in the town of Nazareth. Nazareth, a really small town up in the hills of Galilee, uh, probably pretty conservative, probably pretty to itself, um, very Jewish, but also it's on the Jezreel Valley. It's near the town of Sepphoris. It's near the town, the city of Tiberias is being built at the Sea of Galilee, 19 miles away. And it's a major throughway. So um, people from India, if they wanted to trade with Africa, came right near Jesus' house. Okay, caravans that went to Europe 
to Africa, to Africa, to Asia, all had to pass right through near Jesus' house. So Jesus was from this conservative little town on the hill, but he would have seen caravans from all around the world come right past his house. And we know he's, he uses a term like hypocrite, which is a Greek acting um, term. He teaches a lot of what sounds like Greek philosophy. So we know he was actually exposed to a lot of the bigger world. We also know that he read from the Torah, which means he could read and uh, was pretty literate, actually, at that time. We don't often think about this either, but Jesus grew up with a family and in a household. Mark 6, 2 and 3 says, On the Sabbath he began teaching in the synagogue. This is in Nazareth. And many who heard him were astonished. Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. I don't know if you ever thought about it, but Jesus had multiple brothers and multiple sisters. There's lots of debate about this, whether this is from Joseph's previous marriage or if Mary and Joseph had all these kids, which is what I tend to think happened, that, Joseph, that Jesus didn't marry because he was taking care of his mother and his younger siblings after his father passed away. We see his father at the age of 12. We don't see Joseph again, ever. And so I think Jesus kind of had to act as the elder brother and father to his younger siblings but isn't it interesting that these siblings don't really follow Jesus? In fact, there's a, there's a point in, uh, in Mark 3 where his family comes because they say they think he's maybe out of his mind. But later, his brother James and his brother Jude become leaders in the church. And we have letters that they wrote in our Bibles today. But you can imagine believing that your sibling was the son of God may be a little hard, Right? Or how many of you, if you had heard stories about, you know, shepherds and wise men and all this stuff, would get tired of hearing about your brother? Okay, anybody have an elder brother that you're like, was always the great one? Like, imagine if he was God. That could be problematic. Right? And imagine if he grew up in your town. Now, the work he did. We can see in that text, too, they called Jesus. The tra word is translated carpenter. It's not a great translation of the word, particularly because... There's not a lot of wood in Israel. Okay, tecton means builder, means contractor. Jesus probably did a lot with stone. He probably did a lot with clay. Yeah, some wood, but you, just, you didn't build houses out of wood. There's no houses out of wood there. Okay, um, he probably learned that craft from his father. I wonder what, how big good of a builder Jesus was. Okay, this is a little human side. My friend Dave McDonald asked in a workshop I was at with him. He said, what if Jesus wasn't a very good builder? Now, we instantly like kind of bristle, right? Well, Jesus is perfect. No, we say Jesus is without sin. Is it a sin to be bad at something? I don't think it's a sin to be bad. There's plenty of stuff I am bad at. I am always going to be bad at. Okay, like playing a center in basketball. It's never going to happen for me. Okay. You're gifted in certain ways. I don't know how good of a builder Jesus was. Maybe it's kind of fun to think about. He was okay. He was a great teacher. Because at age 30, he gave up the tecton business 
and started a ministry. He taught all kinds of weird things, that the last should be first, that the blessed are the meek, the poor in spirit, those are persecuted. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. He told all kinds of funny stories, lost sheep, lost coins, lost sons, impractical sowers and soils that don't accept seeds, a Samaritan that's actually good. He often uses everyday human stuff, mustard seeds, shepherds, uh, fig trees, fish. And in fact, Jesus seemed to like a lot of human stuff. He, uh, he loved gardens. He spends a lot of time around water. He seemed to like to escape to those places. He had great interactions with people, rich young rulers who need to be born again but don't want to sell their stuff, Samaritan women who have been a lot through a lot so that they're at the well in the middle of the day, women caught in adultery. He's often tested by religious leaders. And he, he violates all kinds of rules, speaking to women, speaking to Samaritans, touching lepers. He didn't seem to follow the boundaries and norms of the world. He healed the blind, the lame, the lepers, and all kinds of different ways, too. Sometimes he'd be far away and he'd say, okay, they're healed. Sometimes he'd say, get up and walk. And sometimes he would have to touch the person. Sometimes he'd spit on the person. Sometimes he'd heal them, but they wouldn't heal all the way and have to heal them again. He seemed to heal everybody in different ways. And Jesus was emotional. He got angry and flipped over tables. He wept in grief. He got so anxious that he sweat drops of blood. And his teaching, by the way, is often really funny. We don't think about it as funny because it's Jewish. It's more of like a Yiddish humor. But a camel through the eye of the needle, that's funny. A big log hanging out of your eyeball and then critiquing somebody else's splinter in theirs, that's funny. We don't often picture Jesus laughing. But he was funny. In fact, he got a bad reputation. In Matthew, it says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they said, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus was often at parties. He made wine for a party once. He tells a lot of stories about parties. We don't think about Jesus partying, but he was known for it. What about the thinking life of Jesus? Well, he had unusual ways of looking at the world. He saw himself as a, as a continuity with these old stories, but he also saw him as sort of the next step in what God was doing through Israel and in the world. He would say, you've heard it said, but I say to you. Jesus also saw himself as special. He said that he and the Father were one. He said that when you saw him, you saw the Father. And even at 12 years old, he knew he had to be about his Father's business. Jesus is one of the most amazing, interesting characters ever to have existed. And we must say that in the Gospels, he knew his death was coming. He predicted multiple times the cross, and he intentionally made wave and press enemies and walk towards Jerusalem. Mark 8 tells us, Mark 8, 31, And so he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. So Jesus knew the cross was coming. He knew it and he headed towards it and he knew the resurrection was coming. And how do you as a person with emotions and thinking go through that? That is wild to think about. Jesus is the most complex figure to ever live. Somehow both fully God and fully human, divine yet mortal. 
at once compelling and at the same time, maybe one of the most polarizing figures to ever live. What you can't do is just call Jesus a great moral teacher, or a great example for people, because that just doesn't seem to fit all the description. And if you follow Jesus, if you worship Jesus, or maybe if today you're just curious about Jesus, what do you think he was like? And more important than that, I've been talking about Jesus in the past tense. What was he like? But the, the Christian doctrine is, what is he like? What is Jesus like and what is he up to in your life? I've been kind of purposefully thinking about a historical Jesus. But what is Jesus like? And I wonder if have you ever thought about that? So that's what we're going to wrestle with in Lent. We're going to wrestle with, well, what was Jesus thinking? And next week we're going to go over uh, the death of Lazarus because that happens right before the cross and certainly had to mess with Jesus thinking about what was going to happen. We're going to walk through his trial. We're going to walk through his death. We're going to talk about Holy Saturday, which is something we don't normally talk about, uh, and the harrowing of hell. And, uh, and then we're going to talk about his resurrection at Easter. May these questions inspire us as we journey through Lent with Jesus towards the cross. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.